Good morning. I want to greet you in Jesus' name, and it's a blessing to be here with you. One of the reasons I sometimes wish life would slow down a bit is uh, be a little nicer. It seems like it goes too long between times here, and I think a lot of things have changed since I've been here last, and I think they're good things, so God bless you. There's even some people here now who probably don't even hardly know who I am, so anyways, um, that's fine. And before I forget, there's different ones from church sent greetings to different ones here, and uh, that part of my brain gets overloaded real quick, so I'm just going to give you greetings from the church in Strawberry and the people that sent them to the people here in the church here. Does that work? Now, if anybody says, did Joe give you my greetings, and you say, yeah, he did, so now I'm free and got a clean conscience, so anyway. Okay, so what I've got to share this morning is not because I have personally observed your need of it necessarily at all. It's more something I need. Yeah, that's uh, one of the strange things about preaching is I, I enjoy keeping pretty good records of what I do, where I do it, and all that, and I probably get mixed up sometimes. But sometimes you look back at some notes and you're like, did I really say that? Uh, you're like, wow, uh, maybe you grew. And then the next time you're like, wow, I guess uh, I should have been preaching to myself a little oftener than I have been. So this is probably one of those where I need to be preaching to myself. Uh, so to get us started, I have a couple things here. Is anybody, these things are pretty rare here. I just discovered to my grief this morning how rare they are again. I uh, forgot. Does anybody know what this looks like to you? Tell me. I'm sorry? Okay, shark tooth. Maybe it is. I don't know. I was going to call it something else. Anybody want to else take a guess at what I would call this? Yeah, I was just going to call it a rock. So, a little rock. Um, and then, uh, I again, I should have, I wasn't planning necessarily to share this when I came, but what does this look like from where you're at? Thank you card. It worked pretty basic, but uh, we tried to make one, so I'm going to put that up. And you all know what this is. I think they're the same from where I live to here, so, right? I actually had to borrow this one, so. Uh, you all know what that is? $20 bill, in case you aren't familiar with them. Uh, I think it's probably something most of us have seen a fair bit of. So now, uh, one thing that I'm pretty weak on is drawing skills. Uh, but I'm going to try to draw something here real quick. Then I want, to tell, I want you to tell me what I, if you can at least get any idea what I'm drawing, I want to tell the picture that I draw and these three things, I want to tell you what, I want you to tell me what you think they have in common. So let's see if I can do this well enough. So is that good enough? What's that look like to you? I'm sorry? A gun? A rifle? Sure, thanks. So now what would you say that these, a thank you card, a $20 bill, a rock, and a, right, or a gun have in common. How are they, how could they all be the same thing? They're matter. They're matter, okay. We're getting basic here, that's good. They're also something else. Uh, let's see if I can draw this. Uh, this square ain't too bad. So now I'm going to try to put something. Last bit I'd really like to add is really difficult for me, so you can laugh all you want to, but maybe it'll get the point across. Uh, what would you say I'm trying to do? 
a present, a gift, right? Thank you. Hey, maybe my drawing isn't as bad. At least you got the point. Uh, that's the main reason for me to draw, right? Um, so how many of you like to receive a gift? Okay. So I don't know. I'm going to say that uh, most of us like gifts to some extent. So I'm going to talk of gifts and giving. Now, the, what these have in common, if you want to know, is that they've all been gifts that I've been given, okay? Uh, a rock, I wish I had the actual one along. It was about this size, actually. Some years ago, uh, about a six-year-old boy in Oregon gave, gave me this rock when I was out there having meetings. I still have it in my office. It's just uh, sort of neat. Uh, and that rock probably doesn't, you know, if something happened to me and my somebody was cleaning up my estate after me, I don't know, it's probably like, why is Joe saving this rock and throw it away? But to me, the rock's special because it reminds me of a little boy in Oregon. Actually, he's not so little anymore. Um, I thought maybe someday when he's older, I'm going to have to pull that rock out of my pocket and say, hey, you know, you remember this, see if, uh, how precious it actually was to him. Uh, but to me, it's precious because he thought of me. I mean, it's not every day that you have meetings in Oregon that a little boy gives you a rock. Uh, so even when uh, you have a windy preacher like me, uh, you really feels extra special that little boy isn't throwing it at you. So all the better. Uh, thank you cards. I've got lots of those. In fact, my wife has sort of started saving those up, putting them in a folder there. I think maybe she, I think I sort of have the sneaky feeling that, I don't know, do y'all ever get discouraged? I do sometimes, and I've got a sneaky feeling that she's planning to pull that thing out when I'm down in the dump someday and won't tell me to go read over it. Uh, I just got a hunch on that one. Uh, and one time they were combined. One time a young lady handed me a thank you card after she'd walked away. I opened it and there was a $20 bill in it. Uh, now I have both the thank you card and the $20 bill in my office. I want to tell you that $20 probably means a lot more to me than the, what I could purchase with it, if that makes sense to you. It's because of the, the, idea, the thought behind it. And I'll tell you, and I'm not faulting anybody, I don't know. It's not like I have bad feelings against anybody that didn't do this. But it was the only tip I ever got for 12 years of teaching Bible school. Uh, nobody else ever gave me a tip for teaching them in Bible school. So she gave me a thank you card, and she gave me a $20 bill in her thank you card. And on top of that, she uh, told me one of her secrets. So anyways, uh, I think what, her secret is now open. I think she was going to start a courtship soon after Bible school ended. So I always thought that was pretty neat. She gave me some gifts that day, didn't she? Uh, so I have a couple things I want you to think about. Most of us say we like to receive gifts. Some of them, some of us likely, I think I'm one of those. Maybe gifts are extra special to me. I don't know. But with it, can you accept or I don't know if that really matters. Can you be offered a gift and remain the same as what you were before it was offered to you? I'd like for you to think about that. Um, I think generally a thought is, you know, if I take a gift, sometimes I feel there's obligations that come with a gift. But what if I would just refuse a gift? Do I remain unchanged? Think about that for a bit. And if I accept the gift, how has being, being the recipient of thank you cards, of a $20 bill, of a rock, of a, one of the fellows I work with gave me a side-by-side -side shotgun. He sort of knew I had a crush on those things, and I never really got around to buying one. I didn't know if I needed one that bad. But, so he gave me one. You know, how has receiving those gifts affected or changed me? Has it? 
I'd like to tell you of a man who received, I'm going to say, many gifts. And this man was a farmer. Now, I don't know what kind of, can you think with me, what kind of gifts would a farmer like? Let's think of a couple things that a farmer would really like. Anyone? Okay. Uh, he got that indirectly, so time off, sure. I was thinking more so far as helping his farm, but uh, we could go there. What else? I'm sorry, I heard something, but I didn't. A tractor? What else does a farmer need? Land. I caught that. Was there another one? Okay, and behind, behind land, I'm going to do soil just to keep this broke down a little bit, right? Uh, it's all involved, but you need good soil. What else do you need as you think about raising plants? Fertilizer. Fertilizer. What was the other one? Grain. I'm sorry, I said to catch it. Grain. Seed. Seed. I don't know, I'm sorry. In Arkansas, we eat grain and plant seeds, so I was... Rain. Oh, perfect. Now you're starting to think. So we need soil, rain, what else? Sun. Oh, uh, I guess those are the ones I was thinking of especially. And you figured out how to make soil? I mean, we can put mulch on it, and in that way we can... But you still get it from somewhere, right? It's not like you just make soil out of nothing. So God generally, I would say God makes soil. We can help our soil by adding things to it. Fertilizer was mentioned. But rain, I mean, we can irrigate. In Arkansas, we do irrigate a fair bit sometimes. But at the end of the day, man's sort of helpless. We use the water God put there, right? Out west, even, they'll make these great big reservoirs, but they're only storing what God already gives in some uh, shape. So I don't know. Making rain is somewhat limited in effectiveness. Sun. That's another one I haven't figured out how to turn off, on and off. Um, so you think of a farmer needing all those things. The one, uh, because of the combination of these things coming together that I would say were gifts to this farmer, he had a bumper crop. I mean, it must have been amazing. Probably wasn't the first one he had. And so this farmer, in trying to consider how to best utilize this gift that had been given to him, I'm going to say he turned inward. You know, I'm going to say this farmer failed to consider how small his part in the construction of the soil was. I hope he was a good farmer. I hope he fertilized. But really, he had done very little to create the actual soil. He failed to factor in that someone much greater than him had sent the gift of sunshine and of rain at the perfect time. And this farmer failed to be grateful to the one who had blessed him with these gifts. He failed to see that he was blessed so that he could be a blessing. So what did he do? He decided to keep it for himself. In the Bible, it talks about this farmer. He decided to pull down his barns or his grain bins and build bigger ones is what it says. And he decided to hoard what he didn't need for himself. He was going to hoard. And then, yes, he was going to take time off. So now, just to be clear, I'm not against a moderate time off. Uh, I think sometimes it's good. At the same time, he decided to keep everything he had gained for himself, lay it up so that he wouldn't have to basically worry or stress again was his thought. It goes on, he decided to live in luxury 
and pleasure instead of living a life of sharing and giving. This farmer also failed, while he failed in all these, he also failed in one other thing, and that is he failed to realize that the one who gave him these blessings was watching him. And that the one who watched him had a plan of action as he witnessed this selfish response to the blessings he had been given. You don't necessarily need to turn to but in Luke chapter 12, verse 20 and 21, it says, But God said of him, I put this in a little bit more of English we would use, But God said of him, You foolish and you vain man, this night I will recall your soul, then who will control the blessings I've given you that you are so selfishly hoarding? This is the way it will be with all those who store up and treasure their blessings for themselves instead of richly sharing with all those that God brings into their lives. And it's interesting, I think it's the last verse in the chapter, uh, verse 48, the last part of the verse, Christ went on to say, unto whomsoever much is given... Of him much is required. To whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. You know what that verse is telling you? That if God has blessed you, the more your blessings, the more responsible you are. And I don't always like that thought. Uh, Sometimes it's, uh, not that I really like to think I'm more responsible than a poor person, but you know I am. I'd like to go on further and say one of the first steps in losing our love for God is a selfishness in hoarding the blessings God gives. One of the first steps in losing my love for God is a selfishness in hoarding the blessings that God has given me. Y'all are okay with stories, right? Um, last December, we've been invited to a Christmas program in a congregation or school about an hour and a half from our house. And I'm going to repeat this story as I recall it, as I remember it. The, the children shared this story in the program, and it really been sticking with me. Let's say it that way. So we had a sick widow mother. Uh, we had two children, a son and a daughter. She was struggling to make ends meet, and she was sick. Uh, in fact, she really didn't think she would probably live all that much longer. And one thing she wanted to do in uh, maybe the last Christmas that she would get to spend with her children was to make a new coat for her son. His uh, coat was wore out. And knowing that her time with her two children was short, she pressed all the love and all the care into this coat, possibly her last gift to her son. And she was able to complete it and present this coat to her son at Christmas. And this boy was very excited with his new coat, probably more excited than most of us have ever been at, the re- uh, at being given a coat because, you know, I don't know. Well, first of all, in Florida, you don't need coats that bad. And secondly, most of us have probably more than what we need, right? So he had just a ragged coat. So this coat was special to him. He was excited and he appreciated his coat so much that he actually didn't wear it, shall we say, every day. He kept it for special, special times. Over this time, soon after he had been given the coat, they went to church and they heard a message about giving our best for Christ. Giving our best for Christ. The next day after he'd heard this message, he was thinking about it. He was running some errands for his mother. 
And as he was headed home the one time, he came through the park and he noticed something on the back bench in this park. Uh, it's a cold winter day, of course, Christmas, you know. And he uh, saw something on this bench. Being a curious boy, he went over to see, and here there was a man sprawled out on this concrete bench in a park. Now, I don't know about y'all, but a concrete bench in a park is not a comfortable, warm place to be on a cold winter day. It's just... Uh, and uh, this boy was a nice boy. He had a sympathetic heart, and he just felt sorry for this uh, poor man sprawled out on this park bench trying to sleep, it looked like to him. So he thought, what could I do? So he, well, I'm not that far from home, so he took his coat off. He had his old coat on, and he took his coat off and spread it over the fellow, and the fellow didn't really stir or anything. So he thought, well, at least he did something. He stepped back to look at it. And as he was looking at the man, this, this thought came back that he'd heard the day before about giving your best for Christ. And uh, with that thought came, you know what? You have a better coat than this one, a warmer coat. And, of course, he's human enough that, like a lot of us, he was like, no, I don't want to. I mean, who wants to give their new coat, especially if you only have a new and an old? Who wants to give their new coat to a tramp that you don't even know? But uh, as he thought about it, he... Um, Suddenly ran off, ran home, got his new coat, came back, and the tramp was still there, still seemingly asleep. He pulled his old ragged coat off and put it back on and laid his new coat on the tramp. And then with a happy heart, he ran off, thinking that he'd given his best for Christ. Now, his mom had been at home when he came back to get his new coat, and uh, when she came home, didn't take her long. They were, like I said, they were poor. Didn't take her long to realize that the new coat was gone and he was wearing his old ragged coat. She's like, where's your new coat? And he says, oh, there was a tramp in the park and uh, I used, I gave it, I covered him up with it so that he could be warm. You know, his mother was somewhat hurt, vexed, disappointed. In thinking all that she had sacrificed and put into this coat, only to have it gone within a few short days. After all, she was, as a mother, she was concerned about her son. She wanted him to have a coat. And now here it was gone. And uh, she didn't have means to get another one. And yet, she also appreciated the heart of her son. So she bit back the protests and turned them into a prayer that God would bless and care for her children when she no longer could. Anyway, time went on. Within a few short months, she was right. She passed away and her children were put into a children's home. They were there sometime when they were adopted by a young farmer and his wife. And well taken care of. They had a good home. Uh, one thing that this young farmer did uh, is about every year around Christmas, he would load up his wagon with uh, food and send it to the local town for the hungry people, uh, yeah, people that didn't have enough to eat. And as his son, as his uh, adopted children got older, they helped him with this. And the time came when his son was old enough to actually take the load in himself. And this year especially, it was bitter and cold, and it just was not a nice day to take a load of food into town. And uh, the son, he was willing to go at the same time, you know, what's the big deal? Why does it have to be today or what? And so he asked his dad, he said, like, Dad, he said, why do you 
why do you send a load of food in every year? I mean, what, why, when did you start this? Why are you doing it? I'd like to tell you what the dad told him. The father told him, son, I'll tell you something I rarely speak of. Some years before my wife and I adopted you, I was a young man in trouble. He said, I fell in with the wrong crowd. They led me into gambling and other vices. One day I hit bottom, nothing left but the ragged clothes on my back. No money, no friends, no place to stay. And he had wasted it. He had had a good life. He said, I lay down on a secluded park bench hoping the cold would end it all. As I lay there, a small boy came by. He stopped and looked at me. He took off his rather ragged coat and gently laid it over me. He then stepped back to consider. Suddenly he turned and ran off. I held very still, wondering. After a bit, this young boy returned with a new and better coat. He removed the old coat and covered me with the new one and put the old ragged coat on himself and went his way. He said, son, that coat changed me. As I considered the boy, excuse me, what the boy had done, as I considered how I had been living, shame and remorse came over me. He said, I arose from the park bench determined to do and live for others. He said, I met soon after I met the man that owned this farm and asked him for a job. And he, he gave me a job and I began to turn my life around. And after some years, I married the, the farmer's daughter and took over the farm when he retired. He said, I have made it my life's goal to help and be a blessing to those with less than what I have now. And to give them the opportunity that that little boy gave me. He said, I also have all, excuse me, I have also very much hoped that I might someday find the boy who gave me the coat, yet I've never been able to trace him in the masses of all the children in that large city. You know, as that son said, the son gazed in wonder and astonishment at his father. And he said, was it this town? And his dad said, yeah, it was in that town. And he said, was it at this, this, this area? And the dad said, yes. And the boy told his father, he said, that was me. That was me. You know, the gift that changed the father had returned to the boy and his sister, can we say, along with the interest wrought by the prayers of the mother. Great as the gift of the coat was, there was someone who gave an even greater gift to all of us, to you, to me. Think of the creator of this world, of this universe. Think of God, Jehovah, who as a father sent his son. John 3 verse 17 says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Think of the Son, this Father's Son, who with his Father was the Creator and is the continuing Director of the universe and all in it. This Son who in John 10 verse 30 said, I and my Father are one. 
Philippians 2 verse 6 through 8 says of this son, who being in the form of God or being one with God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. This was Christ. He was equal with the Father. But he says this, but he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men, something like me, and being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. I don't know, when you think about gifts, the cross is probably about as far removed from a gift as I would want. And yet that's the gift that's the avenue through which Christ gave the greatest gift of all. You know, why did the Father not only allow, but even send his only Son? Why did the Son voluntarily come? I believe it was so that I, so that you, might have the gift, the gift of his love, the gift of salvation, the gift of his fellowship, the gift of eternal life in him. Now I want to ask you something. How have these most amazing of gifts changed me? How have they changed you? If we were to go to John chapter 3 verse 18, Christ speaking again, he says, He that believeth on him, that's Christ, is not condemned... But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. As I read that verse, I am led to believe, and there's some others, that on judgment day, when we stand before God, yes, God knows our actions. He knows every word we speak. He knows all those things. I get that. But what you're really judged by is whether you have accepted the gift of Christ or whether you have rejected that gift. That is finally what, he, what determines where you spend eternity. And friends, whether I accept or reject a gift, I am still changed. When I accept the gift, there had better be gratitude, thankfulness in my heart that changes me. If I reject a gift, there's pride. There's some sort of stubbornness, something going on that, again, will make me worse than I have been before. Some time ago on the church sign at home, they had this on it. The love we give away is the only love we keep. And that sort of runs into another quote from a, actually, I'm not exactly sure what book this was from. Uh, it's just been running through my mind, this one, so I'll share it with you, too. It said, uh, let's see if I can get this. Love, it said, love is, I think this is my own words, so I'll just paraphrase it. Love is one of the dumbest things you can do, but without it, this life would be intolerable. And, you know, if I realize that the only love I keep is the love I give away, it makes it a little easier to love people, doesn't it? For me, because when I try to hoard, I don't want to get hurt. You know, if trust has been broken or anything, that's hard. It's hard to love again. At the same time, if it's the love that I get to keep is the only, the only love I keep is the one that I give away, I'd better keep on giving, hadn't I? Yet sometimes I see a problem in myself. 
I think so often I sort of have this thought, this mindset, that when God blesses me, it's okay for me to enjoy the blessing. And it is. And yet, I'm way too content, I'm going to just tell you about myself, I'm way too content to let that gift, that blessing, stop with me. And friends, that's the problem. You know, some blessings I didn't even choose, and so why should I be so responsible to pass it on? Surely I can just enjoy it. And yes, I want to tell you, it's okay to enjoy the blessings God gives you, but I want to also tell you something else. Probably the best way to enjoy a gift is to share the gift, right? If one of you was to give me a gift, and I would take it into my house, I don't know, what, what shall I say? Well, actually, the church here has given me many gifts, let's say it that way, uh, in the form of a helping, I guess the, their intent was to help pay our travel expenses. Now I have no idea. I've got my hunch is that you way overpaid me, but I don't have, like I said, I've never kept track. But let's say whether you have or had, if I would just collect that money, and you know, this is my pay, my travel money from Santa Fe Church, and I store it up here, and I sort of look at it, and I, and I tell my wife, you stay away from those dollars, those, those are mine. And I'd tell my daughters, hey, let's say we're a little tight, and their birthday comes around, say, money that we'd have to buy would be this Santa Fe money, but no daughter, you go without your birthday present. This is mine. I've worked hard. Preaching is hard work. Uh, and I would sort of hoard it. You think I'd be a blessing? No. This stuff would eat at me. It wouldn't be no good. It's a great to enjoy it, but enjoy it together. You know, it's not... One problem I think many religious people have is sometimes they think they can give 10% tithe. Or maybe if you're really outstanding, you give 20%. And then we think that's sort of, we've given God his share. Now the rest is, huh, what can I do? Let's go have fun. It's again not that I'm saying that we shouldn't enjoy. And it's not that I'm trying to say you put every dollar you make in the offering because no, I don't either. But at the same time, am I selfish in how I use the rest or am I blessing the people around me with it. You know, when I hoard, when I keep it for myself, when I become selfish, that attitude shows that I fail to realize the gift of Christ. Because here's what I believe, friends, that when I really am fixed in awe and wonder at the love that Christ had for somebody even like Joe, I can't help but be excited to share with you what God has given me, right? It's when I lose awe and wonder of God's love for me, then selfishness really gets a hold of me, at least. That's how it works here. You know, when I have the attitude that this is for me or I don't really want to share, I fail to realize that any gift given me is an opportunity. Yes, even a duty to give to those around me. I must be a channel or shall we say a conduit of blessings. Blessings that come to me are to flow through me. This alone will... This, in this way alone will the gifts given to me be good for me and for others. I don't know. I, the word that comes to my mind, I'm not going to use here. But you know, if I am a blessing pit, you know what I mean by that? A blessing pit where it's this bottomless thing in God and other people hurl their blessings and their gifts in there and they just disappear forevermore and there's nothing ever coming out. The blessings will change me. But to the negative, I'll become selfish and more selfish. 
Uh, I'd like to read. To, why don't you turn to Luke chapter six if you have a Bible? Turn to Luke chapter six. I'm going to read Proverbs 19:17. While you do that, Proverbs 19 verse 17 says, "He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he hath given will he pay him again." If I was to put that into my own words, he that fills the needs around him is giving to God. So when you see somebody that's hungry, now I'm going to be pretty frank with you here on some of this stuff. You know, in the world we live in, it's not always safe to hand people money because some of them have cravings that are stronger than what they actually need. So I don't, I let that somewhat up with you, but for myself, I'm pretty reluctant to hand just anybody I meet on the street money because you don't know what they're going to do with it. But I think it's perfectly in right as a Christian to offer them food, right? Take them to the nearest fast food or carry some food. I'll, I'll, uh, it's just, just to me, I've been so inspired by seeing other people offer food. And it's not that I do everyone. But, you know, as I feed that person, if they're actually hungry and they accept the gift of food, I'm giving it to God. To me, that's wonderful. It's not, I'm not just feeding this scruffy individual. What we do for God does not go unnoticed. And when I'm saying unnoticed, I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about God or unappreciated. God knows. I like Luke chapter 6, verse 36 to 38. He says, be ye therefore merciful. Luke 6, 36. Be therefore merciful as your father is also merciful. Judge not and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive and ye shall be forgiven. Give and it shall be given unto you. Now, I don't know. I feel a little vulnerable saying this, but I told you sometimes I get discouraged and sometimes the devil gets me down. I let him, I listen. So, there have been times when I felt that nobody noticed the effort I put into something. I don't know if you ever had that feeling, but it seems like you slave and you give and you, and every, well, and I, I know this is very carnal, okay, so bear with me here, but it seems like you, you're, you're supposed to be a fountain and everything around you is pits. Uh, you ever feel that way? Uh, like I said, I'm, I'm being real carnal here. I'm just telling you. And it's like, God, I'm sort of tired of being a fountain and letting you all these other pits in my life. How about you create some other fountains? Let me be a pit. Uh, I think that'd be more fun. That's just me talking here. But that's not what God says. He says, give. And if I, if, and I don't want to say this in a selfish way, but get the focus off yourself, number one. But if, if you really... Need confirmation of God's love for you. Let's, let's say it that way. The way to find God's love for you is through giving. Not through sitting around waiting on somebody else to give to you. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over shall men give into your bosom. You know, I like that thought. I had, a, I had this can, this pressed down, shaken together makes me think I had these, uh, these fasteners in a jar. And I, I was trying to combine two. And uh, if you would have asked... Any of my daughters, I'm sure they'd told you dad was crazy. There's no way these things are going to get in. But I thought it was pretty neat. I took that jar and I just shook it and I wiggled it and stuff. You know, eventually I got all those other fasteners worked in. It got rid of airspace. And that's how God gives. He's not giving you a lot of airspace. Uh, you know, these chip bags, you open them up and there's about this much chips in that a bag that big. That's not how God gives. He gives you a bag full. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For with the same measure that you meet, it shall be measured to you again. In other words... If I'm there with a small spoon dishing into the lives around me, guess what? It's going to be a small spoon dishing into me, if, if that much, and I probably won't. But if I forget about the size, the quantity, and I get my payloader out, and you come around, and 
You say, you're struggling, I, I need to be, and I get my payloader out and I just bury you. I just, then that's how God gives to me. Just bury you. Then Ephesians chapter four, verse seven, you don't need to turn to that one, but it says, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Now, what's the gift of Christ? I told you a moment ago. Can you, anybody tell me? Okay, the cross, his death, suffering. So the measure of the gift of Christ, how did God measure out his gift to you and me? With a teaspoon, tablespoon, payloader, how did he go about it? Anybody put a quantity on it? Overwhelming and abundant. May I say it one other way is he gave absolutely everything he had to give, didn't he? He didn't keep some in reserve for a rainy day. When he died, he died completely. When he shed his blood, he gave it all. It wasn't like some of it was held back. That's how God gives. So how do I measure the gift of Christ in my life? Am I again there with a teaspoon? <laughs> well, yeah, that person don't really deserve a lot. I'll give them half a teaspoon. The other one, ah, they're great. Shovel and a full one. Or do we just forget about the measure, the measure of the gift of Christ, where we just give because of Christ in us? Let's not stop with only Christ. How do you measure gifts that you give to others? And I'm going to hopefully make this a bit practical if you think I'm overboard in some of this at the moment. But I would guess everybody here has had somebody that invested in their life, right? It's uh, parents, spouse, children, friends. I would hope that all of you have experienced at least a small measure of being given to by someone. How do you return to those people that are investing in you? Are you a bad investment? Are you a good investment? And again, I'm not, you can twist all this around a selfish way. That's not what I'm suggesting, but I am suggesting that you stop and think. Think of who has really poured a lot into you. And then how have you given back to them? I've got a couple of verses you're welcome to turn to. If, uh, next one will be in. Actually, why don't you turn to Philippians 4? I'm going to read Titus 3, verse 14. While you all go to Philippians 4, Titus 3, verse 14 says, And let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses, that they be not unfruitful. I guess I like that verse in that God is looking for fruit, friends. Don't be an unfruitful person. If I was to say this in my own words, may all of you learn how to give to others and do for others. For if you fail in doing this, you will be like a tree who does not bear fruit, useless in the kingdom of God. Friends, we've got to be fruitful. Again, Luke 3 verse 9, before I get to Philippians 4, Luke 3 verse 9, Christ, no, excuse me, this was a other teaching. And now also he says, the axe is laid at the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Excuse me, that was Christ. I just think I got my red letter changed on this. The axe is laid to the root of the tree. Why? Why is the tree chopped down? Because it wasn't bringing forth fruit. If you want to be a tree that blesses people, you've got to have fruit. And you know what? When you're, how can I say this? When you're a fruit tree, you don't droop your branches for some people and pick them up for others, do you? Whoever comes to a fruit tree gets what the tree produces. 
uh, and not necessarily in the measure that the tree thinks is correct because it's fruit tree their business is not to sort through all this and we probably have some responsibility that goes beyond a fruit tree at the same time we're to be trees in God's kingdom and let God do at least the fine-tuned sorting okay Philippians chapter 4 verse 10 and 11 and then 14 through 18 so Philippians chapter 4 verse 10 Paul talking to the church here, he says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Let's go down to verse 14. Read through 18. Notwithstanding, ye have done well that ye did communicate with my affliction, or we could say my need. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once again unto my necessity. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that I may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to, unto God. Excuse me, to God. So Paul here is blessing the Philippian church for sharing with them. Now as I read this, Paul is blessing them. He's saying it's not because I had such a great need or because... I was greedy to get something from you. But he said, I was blessed by, as you gave to me, I saw it as a sign of God's work in your heart in my own words, right? And that's very much how I feel about you as a church, just to be clear. It's not that you all would have had to send us travel money. I think God could have provided, and I know he would have some other way, right? But I bless you for it. Not because even I wanted to survive, but because it was a sign of God working in your life. Does that make sense? I'm just going to use that. And so therefore, keep that on as uh, we're looking forward to some things changing here and stuff. By all means, don't keep sending me travel money. I want to come traveling, but because I want to. I, if I can bless you while I come, that's great. But I don't need travel money, okay? You find some other place to send it, but keep being a giving church. And uh, I have not, I know your deacon's a good friend of mine. I have not asked him anything on this. So if, if I cause sore toes, it's not my fault. I'm in ignorance, okay, on this score. But I tell you, I've been blessed, I would say, I've been blessed to be able to travel to a number of congregations. And I'm also going to tell you, I don't think that the check at the end of a week of meetings is how I determine whether those have been good meetings or not, okay? Let's get that clear. But I am going to tell you that I have been to some, and I say this kindly, I hope, but some very wealthy areas and churches where if I would have told them, um, they don't tell me this to my face, but when you tell them that you're from Arkansas, they sort of look at you like, well, it must be poor. I wonder if they have enough to eat down there uh, type of thing. And, uh, you know, I wonder what kind of hovel or hut he lives in. Probably a mobile home or something. I don't know. I mean, I'm not trying to run mobile homes down. Just sort of telling you the look they get on their face when you tell them you're from Arkansas. And yet, I'm not going to brag on myself. Can I brag on my church a little bit? If I was to go by what evangelists in our church get versus some of those, you would have a completely different picture of who lives in the land of Canaan. Did you follow me there? 
And it's fine. For myself, I'm fine with it. But I've noticed a trend, and it does bother me a bit, is that oftentimes the people with the biggest houses and the biggest businesses and the longer established communities, if you want to say it that way, are the ones where they give the least. Not just in that area, but in others that I've observed. What's going on? That's pretty strong there, uh, so take it, and if I hurt somebody, i sorry. It's just something that's bothered me as I've observed churches and stuff, and there's something out of sync, friends. Something out of sync, and so I'm pretty safe saying it. You're not an old established church, and I like as far as I know, you've been very giving. But I think this is a blessing that's lacking in many churches, and in fact, I have personally seen that sometimes the very wealthiest areas are the most difficult to actually get them on board with helping when there's a need. And that's not Christ-like, just to put it briefly. I'm going to say, give you some other points I'd like for you to consider. Giving and sharing are a mandatory part of the Christian growth. Giving and sharing are a mandatory part of Christian growth. If you feel like your life has stagnated a bit, I'm not saying it's the only area. There's other things to consider. But one thing you should consider is, am I investing? Am I giving? You know, in something as simple as giving a cup of water, in visiting the widows, the fatherless, and those in prison, those things, those very basic ways of giving, something that every one of us can afford to give. Who can't give a cup of water? Who can't take some time out to visit a widow or children who have lost their parents? Who can't take some time out to go visit a prison and somebody in prison? But those are metrics, specific measuring things that God has given us to determine whether we love and are committed to him or not. Pretty basic. And again, back to something I... A question I asked earlier, gifts do not let room for neutral. When I'm offered a gift, my response will either cause me to grow or to shrink in what God has for me. The results are not neither. When you give something into my life, I can't say, well, you know, I can accept it. It's good. I won't change. Or I'll reject it and I won't change. No, friends. When you're offered a gift, the results are either or. You'll either grow or you'll go backwards in your Christian life. We progress either towards light or towards darkness by our reception of a gift or our rejection of it as well. By our use of the gift and by our sharing or hoarding of the blessing. If a gift is poured out on me and I do not respond in loving gratitude and appreciation, I will become a worse person. Here's one term I've used at home. You know, if we are a vacuum of blessings or gifts, we will pay the price in stinging regret and aching hearts. Think of, uh, remember the rich man and Lazarus, that story? You know, where did the rich man end up? And I can only imagine he wanted Lazarus, how much his pride broke by that point. But do you think that when the rich man was in this life, he ever thought he'd be begging Lazarus to dip his finger in water and drop it on his tongue, so to speak? I'm sure I've been feathers from his mind. He didn't think he needed Lazarus, and he didn't have any time to spare for him either. But you know, if I become a vacuum of blessing, at some point I will pay a price in stinging regret and aching heart. What could have been 
If only, if only I would have given Lazarus even my excess. You know, if we are a channel of blessing, only God knows the peace and the joy that will result. And I can tell you this. In some of the darkest days for me in my life so far, one of the things that I've always found joy and happiness in is in giving to others. That's something you can always do no matter how discouraged you are. The person most in danger of want, if I can call it that, is the person who hoards resources for himself or herself. The person most secure from the surprises of life is the one who is a liberal spring of sharing. And to me, I've actually seen this. You know, you see people collect and hoard and think they're going to save up for their old age or whatever. And there's a place to be a wise steward. That's probably a different message. Yet at the same time, when I try to collect everything so that I have when I get older, over and over, those people, I've seen them lose it. Whereas when we share liberally what God has given to us today in a careful, Christ-like way, guess what? The Psalm's way of saying is the cattle upon a thousand hills are God's. <laughs> he can pretty easily turn around and fill whatever need I have in the future. That's living by faith. And I'm not necessarily promoting everything. Uh, he's human just as we are. But I thought it was uh, Brother John D. Weaver. It was interesting. Somebody recently was interviewing him, and he sort of had this... Uh, been a proponent or a teacher of not accumulating things and I'm not necessarily saying I agree with him on all that but it did strike me interesting it was a younger man interviewing him and he said so brother he said as you're getting now I think I forget exactly how old it is later 60s he said now you're getting older how is this this thing working out for you you're getting scared that you should have laid up more and I, I, I did love John D. Martin's response he said well well, of course, in a human way, he can wonder because he's not able to do what he used to be able to do. But he said in another way, he said, this is where he really gets to see whether God, whether this really works. And so he's sort of excited about it. And uh, I'll let that, like I said, I'm not trying to make a strong statement about him or his philosophies. I'm just more saying, to me, I think we should have an excitement to live by faith, shouldn't we? When I've got it all stored up, I've got it all figured out, I've got it all taken care of, where's the need of faith? But when I need to pray that God, you know, here's a need that's too big for me. Um, yeah, it takes something to walk with God. It, puts, it takes your walk to a different level. So how much has Christ given for you? Can you ever outgive him? How much have others given for you? What have you done with it? A lack of gratitude is the first step in a journey away from God. Okay, so let's wrap this up now. I'm going to give you some rules in giving and receiving. And these were just, I don't know if they're random or not. They were just things that have been impressed on my mind as I think of giving. And receiving, because it takes both, really. So first of all, what I want to tell myself is acknowledge my own selfishness and pride. And this comes in every angle. But friends, like it or not, I have a selfish heart. And it probably would be nice for the rest of you if, I, if that would only be true of me. But I'm afraid it didn't stop here. I have a selfish heart. And selfishness, by its very nature, a selfish heart hoards, either wants to hang on to what it gets a hold of, or it misdirects. And what I mean by misdirect is you will find some people that don't hoard, no, but they spend it all on themselves, right? That's no better. It's one and the same problem. It's about me. I want to mention pride a bit because I also have a pride heart at times. It's something I think God's working on, but it needs more work. But, you know, pride has 
two areas that it really interferes with this giving and receiving in that pride struggles with accepting, right? Pride struggles with accepting. I don't know. That six-year-old boy offered me a rock. I felt a little bad. I didn't know how precious that thing was, but I took it. You know, I've had some other people offer me a lot more. Um, I've had a couple people that I didn't think could spare the money, honestly, that have given me money. And when I think of, uh, well, let's say my fishing equipment at home or something, and I see where they live and stuff, I'm like, ooh, how can I take it? But you know what? I need to. Pride is, that's pride. Now maybe there's a way I can give back to them in some way, and I maybe have a little bit more on that in a minute. But pride keeps us from accepting, and honestly, friends, there's a lot of people sitting in churches, I don't know, I haven't been in other churches that much, but especially Mennonite churches, whose pride is keeping them from really accepting the gift of Christ. Become broken. Don't have pride. Just wholly accept that gift of Christ and let it change you. And then if pride does accept, like I said, it'll use it for itself or try to think you earned it. There's another thing it does. Or another thing where pride comes in is when you give, it needs recognition. And that's a, been a fun test for me. I'll just tell you one thing I try to do with, with that is at least sometimes try to give when nobody, where they had, don't have any idea where it came from. That's a lot of fun. Uh, that's one thing I sort of have a gripe with GoFundMe and that type of thing. Sometimes it's because, at least, I guess you could create a username people don't know, but it sort of creates a list. You know, I was saying that you can always give anonymously. At the same time, I love, uh, to me, it's a test for my proud heart when I know that I really gave and nobody has a clue where it came from, right? It lets Joe test himself. That's for me. Maybe you're not as proud and don't need it. So there you go. Another thing about this acknowledge your own selfishness and pride, I guess I'm going to tack this point on, is teach your children by example and requirement. So what I mean by that is, first of all, be an example of giving, of humility, of selflessness rather than selfishness. Absolutely, be an example. That's where it starts. At the same time, I've seen some parents that were very giving parents, and they raised the worst brats of selfish children I've and what I'm trying to say is, for myself and my house, it seems my selfish heart flows unfiltered to my children. You know what I mean? They got, to, they got to start over in dealing with selfishness. And some of that, we need to start in our homes at an early age. Um, <laughs> I just had to think of a young man whose Peterbilt trucks are very uh, precious to him. He was so glad that a, the young lady visiting him this weekend wasn't playing with his Peterbilt trucks. You know, that's, that's in all of our children's hearts. There's, I'm not having any problem with those parents. Don't get me that way. At the same time, you've got to work on that, right? Uh, this thing of mine, my toy, my daughter has it as strong as anyone, and we've got to work on it. That, that thing of sharing, of giving, let, let's, let's teach our children by example, but let's not just take for granted they'll follow a good example. Some of them need a bit, uh, at least when their last name is Bauman, they need quite a bit more than just a good example sometimes. They need a hot rear, too, or something else. So, anyways, God help you with that. <clears throat> Moving on. Allow others to sacrifice for you, and this is sort of building on the pride thing, perhaps. I'm going to say pride or a lack of understanding ruins so many of the best moments in life. Give it up. And what I mean give it up is let others sacrifice for you. Don't refuse a gift. I'm not going to say, and in some countries, some cultures are different where they offer you something and really don't expect you to take it. So maybe you've got to learn how all those nuances. But if I offer you something, feel free to take it, right? If I offer you something or someone else... Uh, 
take it. Don't let pride get in the way. Sometimes we may have to help some people with wise management. But even the people that are struggling financially, I think actually one of the key things I would want to see in somebody that I'm helping with their finances is that they give. Because actually that's one way out of bad financial management is to see the need of giving. Um, I find it interesting as I read through the New Testament somewhat. I don't know that I've ever met, found a passage where Christ said you're giving too much or I can't take that from you. He left, people share with him. Uh, then the other thing in allowing others to sacrifice for you is don't spoil their efforts. Don't spoil their efforts, wait your turn. You know, if I come home and let's say my wife is, maybe it's Valentine's Day, maybe it's a birthday, I don't know. Let's say she decided to make a special supper for me and let's say I would come home and say, well, that's so nice you got all that together, honey, but I'm going to take you out for supper tonight. Uh, that'd sort of mess it up, wouldn't it? I should just accept it. Don't, there's, she'd probably be glad for me to take her out some other night, you know? But that time, let her do her thing. Uh, just accept it. Don't spoil their efforts. Uh, I remember some years ago, my, uh, one of my younger sisters had baked uh, some cookies for me. I hadn't asked for them. She just said I could take them to the shop for snack. And we had quite a bit of stuff out there right then. And I sort of callously said, oh, we don't need anything, and went out the door. Later, I discovered she was terribly hurt, you know? If somebody goes to the bother of doing something for you, take it. I mean, not in a greedy or selfish way, but thank them for it and take it. Use it. Uh, let them be a blessing to you, however that is. You know, if someone has planned a surprise or a gift for you, don't spoil their moment by trying to turn it around or, yeah. We get, we get pride and selfishness all mixed up in this one, too. You know, if you really appreciate it, let them have their time now and you take yours at another. And uh, probably one of the times there's, I'm going to say this, I don't think, uh, only one person here that I think knows about this one. But I had very, very much, okay, I like fishing. I think some of you know that. And I had taken some people fishing, and I was all excited about taking these people fishing. And, and it was a bad fishing day, let's just say it that way. And uh, I don't know, I still don't maybe get this all right, but we did finally find a few fish and that we got on lines. And I wanted the other people to reel them in, and some of them were too stubborn to. And you know that hurt. Because much as I like to fish, I'd rather see somebody else pulling a fish. Because um, I enjoy it. And... Uh, I'm not saying there's a place to take a turn and all that, but really, if somebody else is investing you, let them have their turn and their investment, and you can take me fishing some other time. If you come to Arkansas and we catch one fish, I want you to reel it in, and you can take me fishing when I come to Florida, and I'll reel it in. Is that a deal? Uh, you understand what principle I'm talking about? Express appreciation. Thank them, even profusely. Um, I don't know, just the background and stuff I grew up in, Effusive thanks can almost embarrass me. Uh, if somebody gets real effusive, I start wondering whether I should get out of here or something. Uh, I don't mind to thank you, but really, let's be effusive. It's, it's okay. Uh, let's, and if you're receiving glory in that way, point it to Christ. It's fine there. Um, and then uh, I already mentioned this, but one other point I had is don't be a vacuum. I would like to stress it. One of the most concerning things I see in observing people is when they're receiving blessings, people are doing things for them, giving them gifts, investing in their life, and they're this bottomless pit of no returns. That to me is a huge red flag. You know, I'm going to say the givers are still blessed, but it's going to be a problem for you as a receiver if you're a pit, a vacuum. 
And I don't know, probably a lot of this is unintentional. Maybe some of it is thoughtless, but I've seen many people who mindlessly, and I excuse the word, but I'm going to say even stupidly, think others are thrilled to give and do for them. And excuse me, that's not really a right attitude. That's an entitlement attitude. When I give something to you, it's not because I couldn't find somebody else to give it to. It's because I decided I want you to be blessed today, right? And so don't just expect me to invest in you as somehow I'm giving Joe an opportunity. I mean, God's got lots of places for invest. It's, it's uh, yeah, maybe I'm glad for opportunities, but really, don't be a pit. Um, I'm going to be pretty strong on that. I'm going to go say, Father, if you find yourself relating to a pit, be a bit careful as a giver. You don't really help a pit by dumping, dumping endlessly into them. If it's an ongoing problem, especially with a church brother, sister, someone close to you, I'm going to make a suggestion that you dump some rocks in there that gum up the machinery for a bit. Uh, That's not always fun. They may not love you very much, but maybe you should tell them that you feel like a pit to me. You're just a vacuum. And don't be harsh, but get them to think about it. Because when a person just takes and takes and takes, you cannot have a good relationship with such a person. In a relationship in which one predominantly gives and the other predominantly receives, that relationship is actually doomed so far as heights of good friendship. If you find yourself in a relationship as a giver, you may need to give the receiver an opportunity to give, lest you become a curse to them. And one thing I've found can be effective, rather than maybe even throwing rocks in their machinery, so to speak, is ask them to do something for you. If they're just this person that wants you to do this, maybe just sometimes surprise them and say, well, let's see, I'm pretty busy this week. You know, I've got some things here you could do for me today. How about that? Would that work for you? And just sort of gums them up. And some people need to be asked. Like I said, some of it seems probably a thoughtless problem. But stop and think, have I been a pit to the people around me? And then in that givers, don't quit giving. Even if you find yourself beside a pit, it's still actually safer to try to fill a bottomless pit than to quit. But help them find the joy of being a channel. If you receive much, great, return much. A person who does not invest in those who invest in them will end up being an entitled jerk. If someone has invested in you and you're not willing to invest what you can in them, your relationship will finally eat out your heart and your life. Let me read to you Proverbs chapter 25, verse 21. It says, If thine enemy hunger, give him bread to eat. If he thirsts, give him water to drink. For, for thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord shall reward thee. How is that being nice to an enemy, heaping coals of fire on his head? It's quite simply that if you invest in me, and I'm being gossiping about you, I'm being unkind to you, You can't do that and have your heart in good shape. You start eating your heart out. That's what happens. If the investment someone has made in you does not lead to gratitude and a desire and effort to invest and bless them, you are at a dead end spiritually and relationally. A receiver with no outflow becomes a a gnawing void of swallowed blessings. A receiver with an outflow is like an endless spring. Okay, last point here in the giving thing sort of broken down is, well, actually, maybe I need to break this up. Give of yourself. You know, I've seen some people who happily and cheerfully 
run around finding needs for the deacon or the church or somebody else to fill. And I'm glad, and I hope, I pray that, I trust that the church hears this that same way. I'm glad we have a church brotherhood that wants to work, that wants to help. But friends, while there may be an occasional need to go tell the church that here's a need that's bigger than what I am, by and large, I strongly feel give of yourself is where the blessing is. Rather than trying to find ways for other people to give, give yourself. And I'll just tell you a little hint. I have never been a deacon, but I've got some really close friends that have been. I'm thinking of the two at home sometimes. And sometimes they're glad for suggestion. But the other side of that is they're also very busy people. <laughs> and so if you see somebody need firewood, go cut them some firewood. Uh, if they, you see some other need, like I said, it's never don't, that I'm saying you never talk to your ministry or whatever about a need. But give yourself Give of your time. Don't expect others to give theirs while you go free. Give your attention. Don't expect somebody else to listen to someone that's hard for you to listen to. Give your money. Build a little less of a house. Have a little less of a shop. If you see needs, fill those. Don't give surplus. Now, I need to take that back in that. Yes, give. If you have extra, give that too. But the real blessing in giving in my life, I'll just say, is when I have actually planned something for, let's say I have a $100 bill in my wallet, and I actually have a specific plan that I was going to use this, and then I see a need and I give up something I already had a plan for. It's not really just extra. You follow what I'm saying? Don't just give your surplus. Give something that was actually planned. Okay, then don't return and like. God has blessed different people with different resources. Use the one resources you have. You know, some may have more of dollars, while others may have more time. Some may preach a message or teach a class, while others pray for those that do. And that's all giving. Some may give a drink, while others may cook a meal. If you come visit me, I'll probably try to make sure, I'll try to remember to give you, offer you coffee and water. But I'm probably not going to cook the meal. You can thank my wife for that, just because you're going to be more thankful if she does, at least generally. I can help. But give what you can. And don't only give to those who give to you. It's better to share, excuse me, it's good to give and share with your friends and those you love. It's even more Christ-like to share and give to those who you do not care for and who lack appreciation for what you share. That's what Christ has done. Okay, then one last point that's pretty important here maybe is give sustainably. Okay, I'm all for giving our best to and for Christ and therefore others, but sometimes when people hear us say that, they bog themselves down and they're giving to where they can't give to very many people because they're giving this per perfection, I guess. You know, I think it's great, and I should have some priorities, whether it's starting with my wife, my daughters in our home, whether it's people I work closely with, There's place and quantity and some of that needs to be. But I think culturally, sometimes in this thing of giving, we tie ourselves into knots. And so, ladies, if you invite us to your house for a meal, and how's the old tradition? Uh, seven sweets and seven sours or however that all goes. You know, that's way overdoing it. You're going to spend way too much time getting that meal ready. Really, if I come to your house, what I prefer is something pretty basic. And then sit down and visit with me. That's what I like anyway. As you can see, I'm fairly well fed. I won't 
I won't starve even if you cook something I can't eat. So there you go. And I'm still going to, you know, I remember, I can remember for years the conversations I've had in people's houses. And you can, maybe your ladies or some, I don't know, are going to just say, well, you're missing something. And I probably am. But, you know, my wife, if I'm traveling or something, she says, well, what did you have to eat two hours after I ate it? I have absolutely no clue. And it takes a lot of brain power to go back there and try to remember. Um, so that's thanks. I mean, yes, feed people. But I'm saying at the end of the day, be a friend. That's even more important. So don't bog yourself down with your giving, but give sustainably. Give in a way that's a blessing to them and yet not overwhelming for you. It is the quality of your friendship and love, not the amount of money or the excesses of time and resources that you invest. In giving, we are seeking to build and be a blessing in God's kingdom. And it shouldn't be about making a statement about myself and my resources. So may God bless you as each of you are a giver in whatever things he brings into your life. Could we stand for prayer? Dear Father, just thank you for this church here. Thank you for each one in it. Thank you for each one that's here this morning. Lord, thank you for all you've given us. Your gift of your son, salvation, a relationship with you, eternal life. Lord, these are gifts that are really beyond my comprehension. And yet, Lord, I want to stand in awe. I want to uh, appreciate and be grateful for all you've done. And in turn, be a channel for what you would have for me. And I pray the same for each one here, Lord, that we could just be in awe of your love for us. And then because of that awe and wonder, be giving people, not hoarding, not trying to hang on, but just freely sharing whatever you give to us, to all that you bring into our lives. Thank you for this church. Thank you for how they've given to me in so many ways. Would you bless, keep, lead, and direct them? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated.